Well, thank you, Jeff, for leading us in worship. It's good to be here together with all of you. Uh, and I'm praying that we receive something from the Lord today. I'm praying that God would open up our hearts and uh, speak to us. You know, this uh, week I was uh, waiting for my computer to receive an update. I went to the office, I turned it on, and that prompt came up that I needed a Windows 10 update. And so uh, I reluctantly pressed the update, and it said, you'll have to wait for a few minutes. And so it began. I was going to have a meeting in about 30 minutes. I figured that was enough time for the update to take place. And uh, so I waited. It was 30 minutes. And you know how that prompt comes out. Your, your screen turns completely blue. Uh, configuring update for Windows 10. And then it gives the percentage of how far it's complete. And it was at 0% after 30 minutes. Uh, and then it's this warning thing that says, do not turn off your computer. And so obviously I'm going to be late for my meeting or I got to use my phone or something else to go to that meeting. But it's interesting. It reminded me of the season that we seem to be in uh, about awaiting for God to do something in our lives. And he's telling us to stay in touch with him, just wait on him and he'll reveal it. The effects of the virus, uh, social unrest, financial uncertainty, even ministries and missions is being put on hold. For all of us, this has taken uh, a bit of an adjustment uh, and longer than we ever thought it would ever be to come to some kind of difference or conclusion. In our prayer meeting this week, Pastor Peter had said something that was profound. He said, God must be up to something if we've had to wait this long for this virus to be gone. And I believe God is up to something. I believe that he's up to speaking into our lives and using this time to download and update us and empower us by the Holy Spirit and speak to us in his word so that we can learn how to follow him in a way that would empower us and be effective in sharing the love of Christ to others. So I'm glad you're joining us for this second message on the book of Jonah. I heard someone say about Jonah, one of the problems with the book of Jonah is that a lot of us get it confused with other stories. The average person thinks the story of Jonah is about a whale that swallows Jonah, and the whale's name is either Moby Dick or Monstro, and Jonah is running away from Geppetto, and Jiminy Cricket is helping him to become a young boy. And then after that, it gets really confusing. Well, you know, that's not the story. That's why I'm so glad we have the real version of the story in the Bible. And it's not about a whale. It's about a big fish sent from God, appointed by God to uh, take Jonah. He's not uh, running away from Geppetto. He's in rebellion to God. And God, in his mercy, is drawing him closer to himself. A Jonah at the end of the story is not wishing upon a star. It makes no difference where you are. It does make a big difference. Jonah is desperate and he begins to cry out to God. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Jonah does not end up you know, from inside the fish, it says here, but Jonah inside the fish prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. 
You see, many of us, we get desperate for God, and we're willing to pray when we seem to be overwhelmed, when we realize we really need help. And here is Jonah in this belly of this great fish, and he's coming to a point of saying, man, I need, I need you, Lord. In my distress, I'm desperate. And he starts to call on God. And God, it says, it was listening to Jonah's prayer. God is revealing himself to Jonah at this moment. And what is he revealing? You know, oftentimes, when we are in a most desperate and overwhelming situation, when we've lost control of things or feel like we've lost control, God is beginning to reveal what is coming before our relationship with him. And so there's times that God begins to reveal that he wants to be the number one person in our life. He doesn't want second place, third place, or fourth place in our life. If you're God's child, he wants to be not only your savior, but your Lord. And so he wants us to surrender the things that we're worried about losing. Have you ever noticed that? The things we're afraid of losing, and it could be uh, a sickness, we're afraid of losing our life or, or somebody else's life. It could be a financial struggle. It could be a broken, a difficult relationship, a marriage. It could be so many different things or all of these things all at one time. And God is saying, I want to be number one in your life. And so when we look down and we see what Jonah uh, then prays, he says, when my life was ebbing away, in verse 7 and 8, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, we usually associate worthless idols with statues, good luck charms. Uh, they come in various forms, but... In fact, an idol is anything that takes first place in our lives. That's really what an idol is. It can be a good thing. It can be our family. It can be money. It can be security. It can be striving to succeed or achieve at all costs. It can also be trying to protect our reputation or our image that we portray to others. Idols can reveal themselves in the form of bad behaviors that bring us into a bondage to those behaviors. It can be an addiction to something worthless like um, video games or pornography or alcohol or drugs. And when we cling and hold on to these things more than we hold on to the Lord, we forfeit the grace that could be ours. And so Jonah had this revelation that he was, in fact, holding on to his own idols. He was holding on to something else other than God. And he needed to surrender that to the Lord. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites. He didn't want to do God's will. He thought he knew what was the best thing to do. And so he had to surrender that even to the Lord. So today I want to talk to you about grace, God's grace, and our repentance. God's grace and our repentance. We see God's grace all over the story of Jonah. Even as he's rebelling from God and his command to go to Nineveh, God is pursuing him. God goes after him. Whether he goes on a ship and sails furthest away from Nineveh, God goes after him in the storm. 
Even the sailors point Jonah back to God when they cast lots and they say, Jonah, the lot fell to you. What have you done? What, how have you disappointed your God? And so the sailors and the captain, they begin to repent of their sin during the storm. They make vows to God. They call on the God of Jonah before Jonah ever prays. Jonah has hardened his heart because he's trusting in something else other than the God of compassion and love. He's trusting in himself. And so God is calling Jonah to repentance. And finally, Jonah, within the belly of this fish for three days and three nights, he finally surrenders. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. The story of Jonah in the Bible is there because we can all relate to Jonah. We've all been in places of attitude of rebellion towards God. We've all been in an attitude of maybe indifference towards the things of God. And yet God's grace reaches down into our lives and transforms us. And especially when we respond to God in repentance, when we respond in humility, when we respond in a desperate plea of prayer, God, change me, work in me. Aren't you glad that God's grace is greater than our sin or even our shame? Aren't you glad that he loves us even though we're sinners? And aren't you glad that he pursues us even when we're attempted to run away from him? He still comes after us. So God wants us to let go of our idols. And sometimes, because we've held on to these things more than God and we suffered the consequences of it, sometimes it's a difficult uh, path we have to follow of honesty, of openness, of repentance to God. And Jonah had to follow that path. He had to follow God's will instead of his own will. In Jonah 2.10 it says, Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now the Bible says that the fish vomited Jonah onto the dry, dry ground. John Ortberg says this, if you ever wonder why the English translators of the Bible didn't choose a more dignified, churchier word than vomit, it's because in the original text, the Hebrew word is even more graphic than the word vomit. The writer is hitting us over the head, making us sure we see that Jonah wasn't dropped off by an angel. He didn't get a parachute and touch down on dry ground. No, the fish had a protein spill, tossed his cookies, lost his lunch, and Jonah ends up on the shore. He's not there as a tragic figure, covered with self-sacrifice and suffering. He's no heroic figure, covered with glory. He's a ridiculous figure, covered with shrimp cocktail and tuna tartare, or whatever that great fish ate. Just because Jonah repents, is forgiven, doesn't mean that there's no consequences to his actions. To break the runaway syndrome, Jonah had gotten into the, the thing that he was trapped in. He had to choose God's way out. And God's way out was a way of obedience to do what God had called him to do at the very first. The very first word that he had. You see, Jonah uh, comes back to the Lord, and then what does God do? God gives him a second chance. In Jonah 3, 1 and 2, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And there's an emphasis here on the second time. Jonah, on the second time, 
You see, God does have a sense of humor. God does have a sense of wanting us to learn the lesson we tried to avoid. And that's because of his mercy and his grace. He knows what's best for us and he knows what's best for other people. And it's not just about us. It's about the people of Nineveh in Jonah's day. But it's also about other people that we know. God wants to work in us in such a way that we can share the message of his love and his mercy with other people because we've experienced it in such a profound way that it's changed our lives. Have you ever quit a job because uh, the boss you didn't like, uh, you know, he was bothering you? And then you switch to another job and you find out you have a similar boss who offends you in the same way? In the midst of this, God was teaching you to work for the Lord and not for men. That's what can happen at times. Last week, Pastor Ray spoke of the trials and the testings that work their way into our life and do something deep inside us to form the character of Christ. And sometimes it's an unfair boss and sometimes it's a difficulty that we're going through. And God wants us to go through it with his grace and with his power and a dependence upon him. Some people move to a different church or a new school to avoid the conflict they found at that one place. And then when they go to the new church or the new, new school, they have a lot of the same problems that they were trying to escape before. What's going on? God is teaching us to change our attitude. He's asking us to be a change agent in the midst of what we're in and the people that we're with. God is teaching us to surrender to him. In Jonah 3, 3 and 4, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. And you know why Nineveh was, um, it bothered Jonah to go there. Why was that? It was because the Ninevites were the enemies of his people. And he thought that one day they were going to take over his nation. And one day they did, 150 years later. But at this moment, God was giving them an opportunity to change, and he was going to use Jonah. And it took three days to go through the city, and Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You see, his message is a short one. It says no more or no less than what God has told him to say. He said, Jonah, go and preach. Preach against the, the city of Nineveh. Tell them in 40 days, unless they change, they're going to be destroyed. And the amazing thing, the next verse says this, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called the fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. You see, God was teaching Jonah that if he obeyed, great things would happen. If he repented, received God's grace, and then obeyed, Tremendous things could happen. But God is also at work in Jonah's life because he's confronting Jonah's own biases and his prejudices, Jonah's own predetermined plan of who deserves mercy and who does not, who he is supposed to share the good word of the Lord with and who he's not. And God has such a greater, greater plan for Jonah than he's ever seen before. And Jonah is beginning to see that. So that leads us to a question. How has God shown you his mercy and grace in your time of need? How has he done his deliverance in your life? 
You may not have been swallowed by a great fish, but I'm sure there's times when you've called out to God in desperate, in a desperate, distressing situation, and God has delivered you. And God is saying something at that moment. What is he revealing to you? Is there something that you were holding on to that was greater in your life than God? And he's wanting you to surrender it. To whom are you to show mercy now that God has delivered you or in, is in the midst or when he does deliver you out of your struggles? Who are you to show mercy to at this time in your life? What Jonah sang in the darkness of the belly of that great fish, God wants us to proclaim. And this is what he said, but I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make known. Salvation comes from the Lord. There are things that God will speak into you in your darkest of times, in the most difficult of times that you go through, in the places of your greatest disillusionment or discouragement. And he will speak things to you that will convince you of his love and his care for you and the direction you should go. When God does that, those are moments of grace that we need to embrace. Those are moments when we need to receive from the Lord and are updated in our spirit the things that he wants to download into our lives. And those things are promises and those things have purpose to them and those things often have a mission included into them. I remember some of my most difficult years of ministry when I was disillusioned, when I was burned out, when I was so discouraged, I didn't even know if I wanted to be in the ministry anymore. But it was at that moment that God began to reveal that I was trying to measure my effectiveness as a minister by my achievements about how uh, people responded to me. And it was so wrong because what God wanted me to do was have a relationship with him first and to follow him and to be filled with his grace and empowered and changed and then to be used by him. And whatever the outcome was, it didn't matter because I knew that God loved me, affirmed me, and was at work in my life. You know, I've shared that principle with other people that have been struggling and burned out in ministry or in life because they've gone after achievement first and they haven't recognized that they need to be identified and have a relationship with God first and an affirmation from him first. See, the king hears this message of repentance that Jonah is preaching. Jonah takes what he's heard in the belly of that fish and heard from God and then begins to share it. And then in one day, a whole city comes to know the living God. It says there in verse, chapter 3, verse 6 through 10, it says, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. That's another picture of repentance. Somebody saying, I'm going to take off my royal robes. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to confess my sin and my wicked ways to God. And I'm going to wait here until I know that God has forgiven me. And I understand that in a deep way. 
And this is what the Bible says in verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. You see, God's grace is real. And I want to share with you some action steps that will give you a way to uh, apply this uh, to your own life. Number one, God's grace is real. He's pursuing you to follow him. And what we need to do is respond. You know, Tony Evans says this, Sometimes God lets you hit rock bottom so that you will discover that he is the rock at the bottom. That makes sense. God lets you hit rock bottom so that you will discover that he is the rock at the bottom. That's what Jonah discovered. He finally discovered that God is who he says he is, that he does have mercy and compassion on all people. And God wants to do that. He wants to reveal that to us. So let's respond to him. Number two, there are consequences to our rebellion or indifference toward God. There's consequences. When we continue to ignore what God says, when we continue to go the wrong way instead of God's way, there's consequences to those actions. You know, Jesus even spoke of this story. He quoted the story of Jonah when he was giving a message in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus used the story of Jonah to confront the generation he was speaking to that would not turn to follow him, that had refused to recognize him as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And it says, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, listen to this in verse 41, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment, at the judgment day, with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. And Jesus was speaking of himself. I'm here and you will not repent. Jonah went through the city one day, spoke a short message saying that Nineveh would be destroyed unless it repented. And it had 40 days to do it. And the people of Nineveh repented. On the day of judgment, they will stand up and they will condemn those who never turned to Jesus Christ in that generation that Jesus was with them. Number three is repentance from sin can bring spiritual renewal and revival. You see that all through the book of Jonah. The sailors repent and they make vows to God and God saves them. The captain repents. Jonah repents. The king of Nineveh repents, repents and all the people of, of Nineveh repent. And God brings revival into their lives and renewal. And that's true for us today. And so when God brings to our mind things that we need to repent of, it's an invitation to his grace. It's an invitation to embrace his grace. And that's number four, embrace God's grace and then proclaim his love to others. And that's one of the beautiful things that God wants us to do. He wants us to be living examples of his mercy and grace to other people. If God could forgive me, 
If he could change me, then he could change anyone. That's what the Apostle Paul said, basically. I'm the chief of sinners, but God has worked in me, and God has changed me. So if he could change me, he could change anybody. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to revive us, renew us through embracing his grace and repenting of our sin. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we want to be responsive like the people of Nineveh were. Lord, we want our nation to be responsive. Lord, there's something happening throughout the world. You're bringing the world to a halt and to silence and to questioning. And I believe you're wanting to download your mercy and your grace and your power into people's lives if we would only respond to you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would move across this land, but first of all, that you would move in our hearts to lead us into a place of dependence, of repentance, of humility, of trusting in you so that you would work in our lives and use us in this generation that we live. We ask this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.